Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are uh, finishing up our series in the book of Romans. And if you've been here regularly, you should be able to preach some of this by now. Uh, Some of this you should have drilled into your brain after we've talked about it as much as we have. Uh, The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. And it was written at a time when the church was deeply divided. And the church was divided um, along ethnic lines between Jews and Gentiles. But it was also divided because of style preferences and worship style preferences. Um, And the way this happened was, Around 49 AD, Roman Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome and, and really Italy. And they were kicked out. And when they left, it, it caused this vacuum in the Roman church. And so five years later, when he died, the, the Jews were allowed to come back. And when these Jewish believers came back to their church in Rome, the church looked very different. It did not look like the church that they had and that they left. And so they came back and they were confused. They were frustrated. They were upset. And it caused a lot of disunity in the body. It caused problems and tension. And, and Paul is writing to the Roman church to try to bring unity to this deep division that's been caused. He's trying to build a bridge for them to each other and help them see that what unites them is more important than what divides them. That, that God has brought them together and they should love each other really well and they should put their differences aside because he understood strategically how important the church in Rome was for westward expansion. See, Paul was a church planner. He was a missionary and he knew it's not just about the current church. It's about what God has next. He knew that God wanted to do something beyond Rome and he said, Rome has to be healthy. This church has to be whole in order to do what's next. And so he writes this letter to bring unity to the body, to draw them together and to help them love each other well. And one of the predominant themes we see throughout the book of Romans is this idea that God judges sin, but manifests mercy through Jesus. So because God is righteous, because God is holy, he must judge sin. He has to, because that's who he is. But he also is benevolent and loving and merciful. And he extends mercy to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Who, who died an atoning death on the cross for our sins. He paid a debt that we could never pay. He didn't owe a debt of sin, but he paid it for us on our behalf. So he received the wrath of God that was intended for us on the cross. He received that on our behalf. And that was the mercy that God extends through Jesus. I mentioned the righteousness of God. And I just want to remind you, our working definition for the righteousness of God throughout the series has been this that God always does what is right and he is faithful to keep his promises. And I just wanna remind you, because some of you today are maybe in a, in, a, in a season or a state where you are going, God, are you faithful? God, do you keep your promises? God, are you true? And I just wanna remind you, because he is righteous, he always does what is right. He never messes up. He never has an oops. He never has a bad day. He always does what's right. And no matter what he has said, if he has said it, it will come to pass because he is faithful to keep his promises. So if you're frustrated, you're disappointed, you're brokenhearted today, I just want you to know God hasn't forgotten about you. He sees you and knows you and he is faithful because he is righteous. So let me jump into our text for today. Uh, Last weekend, as Pastor Kendall went through Romans chapter 15, he gets kind of the end and he kind of leaves some of it out because it's not very much fun to preach some of this stuff because it's, uh, it's shout outs. It's, it's, hey, tell so-and-so I said hello and greet so-and-so for me. 
And some of you, you've read ahead and you know that's what most of Romans 16 is. And you're like, there's no way he's gonna be able to preach a sermon from this. And I got good news for you. I bet I can. <laughs> so it is where we'll pick up in Romans 16, one. And this is Paul. He's kind of wrapped up his, the big ideas. And now he's kind of, he's kind of giving his farewells and his shout outs to the people in the church. And he says this in Romans 16, one, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Sincrea. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people, helping her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, especially to me. So Phoebe was an important person. It says here that she was a deacon. Some of your translations might say deaconess. Uh, some of your translations might say servant. Um, but the word that's used here for her role is uh, diakonos. And diakonos in the Greek means deacon. It's one who executes the commands of another, especially a master, a servant, attendant minister. Uh, this is the word commonly used for minister in the New Testament. And it also means servant. That's why Jesus was the greatest minister who ever lived, but he was also the greatest servant who ever lived because those two things go together. So when we see her described as a deacon, um, this is intentional because she served in the office of deacon in the church in Sincrea. Now the church, uh, Sincrea was a port city, uh, not far from, from Ephesus. Uh, it, was, it was Corinthian, generally speaking, um, but Paul wrote the letter to the Romans from Corinth. He dispatches Phoebe. Uh, she lives in Sincrea, from Sincrea to deliver this letter to Rome, which makes a lot of sense because uh, you know, if you travel a lot for a living, it makes sense to live close to the airport, right? It's easier to get in and out and travel and all those kind of things. And so it makes sense for her to be dispatched from Sincrea because it's a port city. It's an easier journey to Rome than it would have been for other leaders and other churches and other places. Now it goes on to say that she has been helpful for many or to many, especially to me. Helpful. She's been helpful. Um, have you ever, maybe, maybe you've had kids around you, maybe even if they're not your kids, you've had kids around you and they're kind of in the way, so you give them a job, you say, hey, you wanna help? And then you give them some, some made up imaginary job to do, you just give them a job and I need you to stand right here and make sure that you keep the monsters away. And they're like, okay, I can do that. And you're really just trying to get them out of your hair. Like, you're like, thank you, you're such a good helper, I appreciate that. But they're not helping anything. They're just out of your way, basically. And sometimes when we look at this word helper or helpful or help, it can be a little condescending or it can be a word that, that can be demeaning if we're not careful. But I want you to understand what this word really means here. When he says, she has been helpful to many, especially to me, the word that's used here in the Greek, it's, it's the word prostatus. And um, what it means is, well, the definition will be on your screen. It means a woman set over others, a female guardian, protectress, patroness, caring for the affairs of others and aiding them with her resources. So this definition of Phoebe is very different than, hey, she was a helper. She was a good little helper. Like it just sounds more important that she was a woman who probably had some authority in her community. Um, she probably had some wealth. And the reason we know she probably had some wealth is because when Paul says she's been helpful to me, um, she probably underwrote and helped support financially his ministry. So when he was ministering in other places, she was helping support his ministry financially. 
Uh, she was somebody who had some authority. She was not just a letter delivery girl. Uh, she was not just a helper. She was somebody who had a position of authority uh, in the Synchrean church. And, and Paul says, hey, you need to give her honor. You need, you need to take care of her because she's an important person. Now, this is the point in the message that I want to say. A couple of weeks ago, I referenced the fact we were talking about how there was division in the Roman church and most of the division was over secondary issues, over things that weren't really that important. And I talked about some of the secondary issues in our world today are women in ministry. Uh, there are churches in our community that say it's wrong. The Bible prohibits women in ministry, women as pastors, or women to serve as leaders over men. Um, so they've, they prohibit that in their church. And they've got scripture to support why they feel that way. And we are not a church that believes that. We believe that women can serve in leadership roles, that women can serve in pastoral roles, that women can serve in roles where they oversee and supervise men. And we've got scripture to support that. And this is a secondary issue. So some of the churches in our community that believe that women should not be in leadership, I love those churches and I love those pastors. We understand that these are secondary issues. We're not gonna let secondary issues divide the body. So we can love each other really well and disagree over things that aren't really as important. But for us as a church community, as a, as a tribe, as a church, as a family, we come together and we believe that women are just as called to ministry as men are, that women can be as empowered as men are, that women women have the same Holy Spirit that, that men have, that, that women have the same anointing that men have, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dwell, dead doesn't just dwell in men, but dwells in women as well. And I'm going to support some of that today, but we're not going to get all the way into that today. So with that said, this is who Phoebe was, and this was her role in the church. Let me move on to verse three. It says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I'm thankful to them. And so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So let me say this right now. If you are a woman and you are pregnant and you're expecting a child and you're not sure what to name that child yet, I just want you to know there are some killer names in Romans chapter 16 to pick from. I'm just saying, we've already had Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila. There are some awesome names to come throughout. So just keep your pen ready, make some notes. And who knows, we might have an Adronicus or something like that down the road. And I'm not saying your kids won't get beat up. I'm just saying, you know, if your kid's name were Priscilla and Aquila, expect them to be tough or beaten up regularly, one or the other. So... <laughs> It's interesting because he says, he says, hey, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. And then he says, I'm thankful for them and so are all the Gentile churches. And this is important. And, and this seems like a throwaway line, but this is important because remember the context, Paul's writing to a divided church, divided between Gentile and Jewish lines. And he's saying, hey, this Jewish couple of Priscilla and Aquila, I am thankful for them and so are the Gentile churches, okay? We're gonna come back to this idea in just a minute. But Paul is drawing a line between ethnicities. He's bringing attention to the ethnicities and saying, hey, I want to draw your attention to the people that they've helped and served. So Priscilla and Aquila are people that they met Paul in Corinth. Um, they left Italy to go to Corinth. And the reason they left Italy was because, as I mentioned earlier, um, the, the Roman emperor had expelled the Jews from 
Rome. And so they had to leave the kingdom. They left the empire and they left the country and they ended up in Corinth. So they get to Corinth and they're tent makers by trade. This is what they do to make a living. And they run into another tent maker by the name of Paul. And Paul did tent making when he wasn't being fully supported financially to do missionary work. So he supplemented his income by working. And he meets this couple. And we don't know all the specifics and details, but they became running mates. They were partners in life. They ran together. Uh, they spent about 18 months together in Corinth, ministering together. Uh, all indications are that Priscilla and Aquila probably had a home church, like a, a church in their home in Corinth. They followed Paul to Ephesus together. So they left Corinth, went to Ephesus. And in the, in the Ephesian church, they hosted a home church there as well. Uh, and then when Paul leaves uh, uh, the Ephesian church to go back to Rome, they stay behind. And they help mentor uh, some ministers and help give leadership to the church there. They ra helped raise up a minister named Apollos who became a prominent figure in the New Testament church later. These were people that were very, very, very important to the New Testament church. We just don't hear about them very often. They eventually leave Ephesus and follow Paul to Rome where they established another home church. So wherever they went, they were ministering. Uh, wherever they went, they were, they were fulfilling their purposes for God's glory. And so they get to Rome and Paul gives them this shout out as he writes this letter. Um, one of the things that I think is very interesting as we're talking about women in ministry is Priscilla and Aquila are, are named specifically six times in scripture. And four of the six times Priscilla is named first. And there's some indication that says that her ministry was more prominent than his ministry. And that's why she was named first most regularly is because, because she was the one doing a lot of the heavy lifting, that she was more well-respected among her peers because of how God was using her and what God was doing. And this is important. And these were really important figures in Paul's life. And he spent three verses talking about them. So we know even from that, that these were important figures for him. He goes on to say, in the second half of verse five, he says, greet my dear friend Epinetus. Uh, he was the first person in the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Give my greetings to Mary who has worked so hard for your benefit. So the first person he mentions here is Epinetus. And Epinetus, uh, all we know of him scripturally was that he was the first person from the continent of Asia, Asia Minor specifically, to come to faith in Christ Jesus. That's all we know of this guy. Um, then he mentions Mary. And we don't know anything else of Mary other than her name. But this is one of the things I want to point out. Um, Mary is not associated with a husband or with a father. And this is important because in this day and age, uh, women were submitted to their husband or their father, for their father until they were married and then to their husband. And if their husband or father was not mentioned, then they were doing this independent. So uh, it's not that they had to, to answer to their husband or father or that they couldn't do things without their permission as much as their husband or father would offer protection and a covering for them. And so if it mentions a woman without her husband or father or maybe her brother, as it does in just a minute, then we have to assume the implication is that she is doing this independently, that she is doing this um, of her own accord, that she is not connected to anybody else. So this is what we see probably in the case of Mary and we'll see later on as well. Verse seven, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and uh, became followers of Christ before I did. Now, we don't know a lot about Andronicus and Junia from scripture. There's some historical record about who they are. Uh, what we do know is this. Um, Paul says right here that they were followers of Jesus before he was. Uh, Paul came to faith in Christ 
Um, we know generally speaking when, and so based on that and them following Christ before he did, there's some indication that they could have been uh, actual followers of Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection. So they could have been part of the greater group, not the 12, but the larger group of disciples that followed Jesus. So they could have been part of that group. Um, and we see that there seems to be some um, a deferential treatment to them, even though he is the one with authority. Uh, but they have history there. Um, Andronicus and Junia were well-respected among the apostles. So even if they weren't part of that original group, Paul says, hey, the other apostles, they know who they are and they have a high level of regard and respect for them. And they were a, a missionary couple. They, they were married and they, they went out probably even before Paul did and began missionary work. So they were well-known, prominent figures uh, in the New Testament first century church. Goes on to say in verse eight, greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus, greet Apillus, a good man with whom Christ approves, and give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. I told you, if you will just take some notes, there are some baby names in here. And you don't have to worry about them being like 15 million kids in the same class with the same name. I tell you, if you name your kid Aristobulus, you don't have to worry, okay? <laughs> they will be the only Aristobulus on their soccer team, I promise. <laughs> so there's a couple of things I wanna point out. Um, really, the first is this. The first person he mentions is uh, Ampliatus. And Ampliatus is a very, very, very common name historically in um, historic record, especially among servants or slaves, especially in imperial households. So especially in Roman households, there were a lot of servants with this name. Um, so that is a common name that you'd see throughout the historical record. The second thing I wanna point out is this. It talks about the household of Aristobulus. And when it says the household of Aristobulus, there's some question about what that means. But the literal translation is that, of that is those from Aristobulus. And so there are some people that believe that Aristobulus maybe had a home church that, that he hosted, but if this was the case, then he probably would have greeted Aristobulus and the people in his home as he did with Priscilla and Aquila. So we don't see that, so I don't believe that's the case. I believe probably what the case is, is that there were people of this household, maybe it was his children, maybe his wife, maybe even servants who came to Christ, came to faith in Christ and were part of the Roman church, but Aristobulus himself was not. This is probably what the case is. And there's a lot of support, um, historic support for that as well. Let me go on. It says, greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. And again, he talks about the household of Narcissus. It's the same context. It was probably children, maybe his wife, uh, and also servants, workers in the household, that kind of thing that were part of the church. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Now we've seen this already. He talks about my fellow Jew. We saw earlier when he talks about Priscilla and Aquila and he says, um, they, I'm thankful for them as are all the Gentile churches. So remember what I said, he brings attention to the ethnic dif differences, right? Hey, the, the Gentiles are thankful for this Jewish couple. And then he makes, draws attention to the fact that he says, hey, this is my Jewish friend. My, he's a co-Jew with me. Like we are Jews together, right? Why is this significant and why is this important? I think what Paul is trying to do, um, something that Jesus showed us to do. What Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, 
all of you Jewish people who aren't crazy about the Gentiles, um, I want you to know that I love the Gentiles. And if I love the Gentiles, you should love the Gentiles. And if you love me, then you should love them. Hey, you Gentiles who have problems with some of the Jews, here's what I want you to know. I love the Jews. I am a Jew. And if you love me, you should love them too. And so what he's doing is he is trying to help them. He's attaching his affection to these people to help the opponents in the church love them better. And, and this is what happens with Christ too. Christ tells us to love our enemies. Have you ever tried to love your enemy before? Has anybody ever tried to do that? Nobody has? I know what my new sermon series is gonna be on. There's three of you that know, have tried to love your enemy. It's hard to love your enemies, right? Because they've done something to hurt you, to wound you, whatever it might be. And so it's work to love your enemies. It's hard when people have turned on you and people have trashed you. And what Jesus says is, um, hey, love your enemies um, because I love your enemies, essentially. And so what Jesus is saying is, um, if you're in conflict with somebody, you're in conflict with me. Because the person you're in conflict with is loved by Christ. And so what Jesus wants us to do is love people because we love him. Even if we can't bring ourselves to love our enemies, we're gonna love them because we love Christ and because Christ loves them. This is the bridge for us to say, it's hard for me to forgive, but I'm gonna choose to forgive because Christ has forgiven them. Every single day, I'm gonna choose to forgive. I'm gonna choose to love because Christ loves them. That's, that is the way we're gonna make this happen. And this is what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to help them see, hey, because I love them, you should love them too. If you love me, then, then I want you to borrow the love you have for me and use it for them. And this is how we bring reconciliation. This is how hurts within churches and families and cultures are healed. When we go, hey, I'm gonna choose to love even when it's really hard. And, and if I can't love you the way you deserve to be loved, I'm gonna rely on the love of Christ to help me love you because that's the only way I can do it. And this is what Paul's doing. He's trying to help them love each other through him, him being the, the bridge there. And this is what Christ does for us. He helps us love people who are unlovable, just like we've been loved when we were unlovable. Verse 12. Give my greetings to Trifina and Trophosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Trifina and Trophosa. I'm just telling you, Twin girls. You do, this is a no-brainer. You don't even have to think about it, right? Trophina and Trophosa. Historically, these were, these were sisters, probably twin sisters. Um, again, we don't know anything about them other than their mention. Paul says they're the Lord's workers. He, he, he mentions their ministry. And then he mentions Persis. He says she has worked so hard for the Lord. Now it's interesting because he doesn't just say Persis. He says, my dear Persis. And if you've paid attention, this is the fourth person in Romans chapter 16 who he's called my dear or dear. And this is significant because the literal translation for this is beloved. Beloved. He calls them beloved. And I don't know about you, um, every weekend you hear me say that I love you because I do, I sincerely love you. But if I was gonna say someone is beloved, that feels like a different level of intimacy for me, right? Like, like my family, my people that are close to me are beloved. Um, 
And maybe that's semantics, but it's just the way I interpret this. But when we look at this, there are people that clearly are important to Paul that he doesn't call them beloved. But there are four people in this passage he says are beloved. Three of them are men. One is Persis, the, the woman that we've just mentioned. Only one of the four does he mention their ministry, and it's Persis. He says they're beloved, but he never mentions what they've done for the Lord. He never mentions how they're used, doesn't mention their ministry at all. But here he says, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord, he, he honors her for the work she's done. Again, this is just lending credibility and building support for this idea that we talked about earlier. Because so far in this letter, seven women have been mentioned, including Phoebe, who wasn't part of the Roman church, but was still mentioned here. And Paul has something to say about each of their ministries. Verse 13, he says, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. I love that. Poor Rufus. His name is Rufus. But the good news is God picked him out to be his very own. And also his dear mother, who's been a mother to me. Now, she is not named. Uh, she was probably known to the Roman church, so she didn't need to be named. Uh, but people also knew that it was Rufus's mother. Uh, but she has a special spot in Paul's heart because he says, she has become a mother for me, taking on a maternal kind of role for me. And this is, this is somebody who's special to him, who's close to him. Now, this is extra biblical. Um, there, is, there is some, I'm hesitant to use the word evidence. There's some evidence to support an idea that um, the father of Rufus and probably who had passed on and made his mother a widow was a man named Simon of Cyrene. And Simon of Cyrene, if you're not, if you're not familiar with his name, uh, Simon of Cyrene was a man who was an onlooker at the crucifixion of Jesus. As Jesus was carrying his cross to the hill to be murdered, uh, he dropped, he falls. And this is recorded in the book of Mark. So in the book of Mark, we see he falls under the weight of his cross and there's an onlooker, a bystander named Simon of Cyrene who's commanded to pick up the cross of Christ and carry it for him. And so there is, there is some conjecture, there's some belief within um, historic uh, scholars that this could be the son of Simon Cyrene. Now, that doesn't change this message any. I just thought it was kind of interesting. And I thought there's a few of you uh, here that may think that was interesting as well. And one of the things I love about this is how the, the, the biblical narrative, the biblical meta-narrative, it just over, overlaps and it weaves together. And there's points of interest and in things that God works together that we don't even realize he's done. Romans 16, 14 says this, give my greetings to uh, a syncretus, uh, Phlegon, I'm just, we're just bailing on all these names now, Hermes, Petrobus, uh, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Uh, this was probably people from one home church that met together. Uh, and just so you know, the Roman church probably didn't have a central meeting location. They probably met in many locations in homes. That's probably how it worked because that's how it worked in much of the New Testament church. Verse 15, give my greetings to Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus and all the believers who meet with them. And again, this could have been one singular home church, but there's evidence that says it was multiple churches. Um, we know that Philologus and Julia were married um, because of the language used in the Greek. 
But what we see is 29 people mentioned in the book of, in Romans chapter 16, and at least nine of them, maybe 10, there's one name that's somewhat androgynous that they're not sure if it's a male or female. But at least nine, maybe 10 of these people were women. And this is significant. And so if you're interested in going a little deeper, um, I did a, we did a series in September of 2020, um, and our series was called Asking for a Friend. And we did a message uh, that we talked about, is it biblical for women to be pastors? And so we go deep into this. We really explore this and we get into the language. So there's some places where it talks about uh, men serving as elders. Uh, and so let's talk about the language and the actual Greek word that's used. Does it mean men or could it mean? And so we get into all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested, you can go back in our archive and find that and go a little deeper. We just don't have time to get into all that today. So let me start in verse 16. This is what it says. It says, greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. So if Paul didn't know this, if, if he didn't realize people, some people are uncomfortable with meet and greet times in church, right? What if, what if we did a meet and greet time and we're like, hey, and take just a minute and go give somebody a kiss next to you. Go find a stranger and give them a big kiss in the name of Jesus. Some of you'd be like, get your purse. We are leaving right now. <laughs> like nobody is kissing me today, Right. <laughs> it feels wildly inappropriate. And so let me just help you with this. Ladies, if some weirdo walks up to you after church, he's like, I want to greet you with a holy kiss. Run away and tell me or tell security. We will take care of that today, okay? Um, don't worry. So what does he mean by this? Greet each other with a holy kiss. Well, when we look at the word kiss here, um, the, the, the implication is, is this uh, Greek love, word for love is, uh, phileo. Um, it's, a, it's a brotherly affection. And so what he's saying is greet others in a brotherly way. When you come into contact with each other, greet others in a way that you would greet a brother. Now, some of you had Thanksgiving this weekend, and maybe you've got a brother. I do not have a brother, um, but I've got a sister. And I know when I see my sister, it would be weird if I was like, oh, hi, nice to see you. Be like, what are you doing? Like, what is wrong? Like, we hug and we maybe give a kiss on the cheek and we, we greet each other in an affectionate way. Why? Because she's my sister. And what Paul is saying, remember, he's writing to a church that's divided. He's saying, greet each other in a way that you, you would greet your brother with affection and warmth. And, and here's the thing. The church, we should be able to do master classes on hospitality. The business industry and hospitality, hotel chains should be coming to the church to figure out how to do hospitality. We should do hospitality better than anyone because we are driven by the love of Christ, right? We should be. And what if we greeted each other in a brotherly, affectionate, appropriate kind of way? What if we greeted each other, not as strangers who happen to occupy a room together once in a while, but as brothers and sisters, where we actually loved each other really well and actually helped people feel like they were loved really well? Do you think that might change the atmosphere of our church? Do you think it might change the way other people looked at church? Maybe, and there'd be some people that would think that was weird, but I'm okay with that. Because Paul understood this is really, really important. It's really important for us to love each other well. It's really important for us to be okay with intimacy and vulnerability because that's what a kiss does, right? I, I, I um, my dad, I kissed my dad until he passed away, until he was gone. I would give him kisses. I was a grown man, right? And I, every time I saw him, I would give him a kiss on the cheek. I would hug him. I would tell him I loved him. 
And it was a sign of intimacy. It was a sign of affection. And if you're close enough to somebody to give them a kiss, then it's a sign of vulnerability as well, right? You've got to be a little bit vulnerable to do that. And this is what Paul is saying. Be close enough to people that you have to be a little vulnerable. Be close enough to people that you can show legitimate intimacy to them. This is what he wants us to do. Verse 17. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. He says, you know what you've been taught. And if you hear something that's contrary to that, stay away from that person. He's saying, stay away from troublemakers. And you know what's funny? When I just said that, some of you had somebody come to mind. Didn't you? Some of you immediately had somebody that came to mind and you're like, oh no. Why? Because you know who they are. You don't have to have them pointed out to you. You know who they are. In your spirit, when they start gossiping about somebody else and you're like, oh, this feels bad, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to be a jerk, right? You know who the troublemaker is in your work, in your family. We just had Thanksgiving. You know who the troublemakers are in your family, right? And if you don't know who the troublemaker are, it means you are the troublemaker. So (laughs) you know in the church, in your workplace, in your school, wherever it might be, you know who they are. And Paul says, stay away from them. Now, here's one of the things that marks people uh, who are contrary that Paul's telling us to watch out for. Uh, There is a difference between someone who has a critique and someone who has a critical spirit. Someone who has a critique will offer a way to get better. They will offer a criticism, but it's done with the right heart and the right spirit. And so they may say something like, hey, I think we can do better than this. Hey, I wanna be a part of the solution. Hey, I saw this and what do you think about this? And they're offering it from a place of, I want us to be better. A critical spirit says something like, I could do it better because I am better. And that sounds really harsh. But a critical spirit has this moral kind of agency to it that, that we say, hey, um, okay, think about it in the context of like a small group. You've got a small group leader and you've got somebody who goes, well, I would never do it like this. In fact, I would do it this way. Um, and it's the reason I would do it that way is just because I'm better at it than they are. And they're not going to offer any help. They're not going to offer any critical response. They're just going to feel superior. <laughs> oh, well you know, I would have never done it like that. And they will never tell the person that, but they will tell other people that. And it feels, they feel very spiritual because they can support it and say, well, you know, the the word of God says, you know, (laughs) I can't believe that they would. Why would they ever allow this to happen? But at the end of the day, they've got a critical spirit. And Paul says, watch out for those people. Paul says, shut that stuff down. Do not let that stuff grow. Don't let it fester. Don't let it spread because it can destroy a church. It can destroy a team. It can destroy a family. It can destroy a company when a critical spirit gets involved. And it's interesting because critical spirit is really about who you are. See, a critique is about what you've done. A critical spirit is about who you are. Well, hey, you did bad because you are bad. You did that wrong because you are a bad person. Have you noticed that's the conversations in the political world today? 
Nobody ever messes up because they just messed up. They messed up because they are evil, because they might be the Antichrist, no matter who they are, Republican or Democrat. I've never seen so many people that might be the Antichrist as right now. So many people are just evil. Why? Because critical spirit. And it's one thing for a critical spirit to be in the world. It's another thing to be in the church because a critical spirit is fueled by pride. See, pride says you are right and they are wrong because they are bad. We take great comfort in this. We go, that's right. We are right. I am right. It just builds that pride. Um, I could stay here a while. I gotta be careful. In my experience, uh, not just at Summit, but almost every church I've ever been at, the most critical people, vocally critical people in a church are typically the people that contribute least to the church. They're the people who give the least financially. They're the people who give the least time. They're the people who pray the least. They're the people who love the least. They contribute the least to the church. Do you know the people who complain the least? The people who contribute the most the people who give the most financially, the people who serve the most, the people who praise the most, the people who love the most, the people who serve the most, those are the people who are the least critical. Now they can have critiques. Some of those people will bring critiques to me and they'll be like, hey pastor, I've seen this. What do you think about? Hey pastor, I saw this and I'm uncomfortable with this. Can we talk about it? Absolutely. Because what they're saying is, hey, we can do better. I want you to be better. I want the organization to be better. But almost every time, when I hear some gossip has spread and somebody's about something, it's crazy. I can look at their giving record almost without fail, almost without fail. It's zero or close to zero. People that have attended church here for a long time and their number zero. Like, well, I only give with cash. Really? Because if you only gave with cash, if everybody who gives, who said they give with cash really did give with cash, it would double our weekly income. So it can't be happening. So what is the deal? Well, the deal is this. A critical spirit is related to our generosity. If, if I'm critical, I'm not gonna be generous. So the opposite is true too. Do you wanna crush a critical spirit in your heart? If you see a critical spirit is developing, do you, you know what you do? Be generous. You start loving the person that you're being critical toward. You start praying for the person. You, you give them prayer. I'm gonna pray for them. I don't feel like it. I don't want to because I'm angry at them, but I'm gonna pray for them. Do you, you know if you're having problems in the marriage, then one of the best things you can do, if you developed a critical spirit towards your spouse, the most important thing you can do is pray for your spouse. God, make my wife the woman you've called her to be. God, bless her in every way to be a blessing. God, take my husband and use him for your glory. God, I pray that you'd shift him. Don't pray prayers like, make him see that I'm right in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> but pray a generous prayer for them. Those neighbors that are driving you insane, why don't you bless them financially? Why don't you just anonymously slide some cash in their, uh, in their mail slot and just bless them? Because what happens when we are generous, it begins to drive out a critical spirit in our heart. That's why the most generous people in our church are the least critical, because they don't have room to be critical, because they've got generosity overflowing in their lives. And Paul says, don't be critical. Love those around you. Be good to those around you. Watch out for the people that cause divisions. Stay away from them. You don't want them around. But all of us can develop that heart if we're not careful. All of us can become critical if we're not careful. We've got to 
guard our hearts against it. And one of the ways we safeguard our hearts against critical spirit is by being generous. Romans 16, 18 says this, such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. Whew. Paul's hardcore, man. He's finishing out here. And he said, you gotta be careful about these people because they seem very spiritual. They say the right things, but they're selfishly motivated. One of the first things I think of when I read this passage is, um, and I won't name names, I'll be real careful, um, but there are some prominent ministers on television and on the interwebs that um, they're charlatans, honestly. And they might say something like, hey, for a one-time gift of 1999, I'm gonna send you anointing oil that came from an olive tree in Jerusalem. And you know, if it came from an olive tree in Jerusalem, it's gotta be even more holy. And so it's worth the 1999 one-time gift, right? For, for a 1999 one-time gift, I'm gonna send you a prayer cloth. And the cloth is made from cotton that was taken from a field in, in, in the town where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And this is Bethlehem cotton. And I'm gonna pray over this and you're gonna be healed when you get this prayer cloth. That sounds a little bit like he is selling prayers to me. And I know people who have left churches so that they could be more connected to prominent personalities online. And it makes me sad because what's happened is they have heard their glowing words and their smooth talk. And they've been taken in. Now they support somebody and do something that maybe they're not evil, but I want you to hear my heart today. Um, <laughs> those online ministers, they are never coming to your bedside in the hospital. It's never gonna happen. That, that guy you watch, that you love his ministry from afar, he might be dynamic, he might be anointed, but he is not gonna come do the funeral of your loved one when it happens. It's not gonna happen. He doesn't know who you are. And let me say, take it a step further. I don't know that he cares who you are, but he's sure happy when you send him your monthly support. Oh, some of you are like, please go back to the part where you're naming names, talking about names. That's better, right? <laughs> There's a passage of scripture I wanna to read to you. This is in Hebrews chapter 13. If you've gone through growth track, you've heard me talk about this a little. Hebrews 13, 17, this says, obey your spiritual leaders, do what they say. And some of you are like, oh, sure. Like, that feels like it's loaded, self-serving, right? But this is what Paul's saying. He says, obey your spiritual leaders, do what they say. He's not saying turn off your brain and mindlessly do what they say, but he's saying trust your leaders to lead you well. Trust their hearts. And he says, their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. And so I talk to people all the time and we still do membership at Summit. And membership is still important. And I talk to other pastors and they're like, why do you guys do membership? And I talk to people that are like, ah, we don't need to become members. And I'm, that's fine. That's a personal decision for you. But this is why it's important for us. Because there are two questions that are brought up in this passage that the writer of Hebrews brings up. There's two questions. Because first he says, obey your leaders. Obey your spiritual authority. And so the first question I was asked is, for a person who's looking for a church or attending a church, who are you submitted to? 
Who is your spiritual authority who can come alongside you and cover you and correct you and protect you and lead you well when you need to be led well? Who is that? And if you're a person that you attend multiple churches, that's great that you attend multiple churches, but who are you submitted to? What is the spiritual authority in your life that they can sit down with you and say, you have gone off the rails and I'm concerned about you. Hey, I wanna help you. Because if you don't have that person, then you are listless. You have, you have untethered yourself from biblical community the way God intends. So who are you submitted to? Who is leading your soul? Because this is a question that is implied here. And the second part is, it says their work as pastors is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. So what this is saying as well is one day I will stand before the Lord and I will give account for the people that were part of my congregation. And that's a little scary for me because who's a part of my congregation? I don't know about you, I've met people publicly who said they were part of our congregation who had no idea who I was. Like, oh, where do you go to church? And they go, I go to Summit. You do? And they were like, yeah. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> I've never seen you before in my life. And they didn't know who I was. And I was like, okay, well, okay, that's great. <laughs> so am I responsible for that person? They say they go to our church. That doesn't seem fair. Like, I don't even, they don't even know who I am. So how can I be responsible for them? Am I responsible for every person who comes to our church three times a year? Special services or... So no, for us, the person that I'm responsible for is the person who says, I'm a, I'm a member of this church. Awesome. Well, then those are my people. Those are the people. I'm gonna love everybody, whether you're a member or not. But the people that say, I'm a member of this church, those are the people that I'm gonna be held accountable for. Those are the people that I'm gonna come alongside and go, hey, are you doing okay? Because here's what I'm seeing. Those are the people who say, hey, I'm responsible for this community. I'm responsible for this church. Hey, it's not somebody else's job. It's my job. I'm going to do my best to see things get better around here in our community, in our church. And that's why membership is important. Because at the end of the day, those of you in Blairsville, Pastor Colin is going to be the one that comes and sits by you when you're struggling. For those of you here in Indiana, maybe it's Pastor Kim or Pastor Dick or staff or one of our team who's going to come alongside you in those moments? Who are you submitted to? And who's going to be responsible for you? These are key questions. Verse 19, but everyone knows that you're obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. I could do a whole series on this. Be wise in doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. I love this. He says, may the grace, uh, may the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He doesn't say under his feet. He says under your feet. This is what he says. This is, remember the context. As unity brings us together, as we love each other really well, we're gonna discover God's purposes and plans. We're gonna move forward in God's purposes and plans. And Satan will try to stop those purposes and plans, but he cannot. Because in God, we will crush Satan under our feet. He has no way of stopping what God will start in us and through us when we are united as one people. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings too as one of the Lord's followers, Tertius, who was actually writing the letter for Paul as Paul was dictating it. He interjects his own part here, which I think is kind of funny. 
It says, Gaius says hello to you. He is my host and also serves as the host for the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer, sends you his greetings. So does our brother Quartus. Then in verse 25, it says, now, let me stop here for a second. We went from 23 to 25. You may not have noticed that. Some transcripts have, or some of the manuscripts have verse 24 as verse 27 and vice versa. So they're interchangeable. Um, I'm reading verse 24 as verse 27. So that's why we skip 23 to 25. Verse 25, now all glory to God who's able to make you strong. Just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. He says in verse 25 and verse 27 both, all glory to God. And this is the key for us, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Unity paves the way for us to be able to carry the glory of God. But the opposite is true too. The glory of God helps bring unity. So if, I, if I'm interested in unity in my home and unity in my workplace and unity in my church, one of the things I'm gonna focus on is, is carrying and, and creating an atmosphere where the glory of God can be displayed. Because when the glory of God shows up, it's amazing how people will come together. Because everything else becomes secondary to the glory of God. Now what he says in verse 25 is this, I'll glory to God who is able to make you strong. And this is important. If you remember back to verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Except all believers, or except other believers who are weak in the faith. He says, Except those who are weak in the faith. But what it doesn't say is, if you're weak in the faith, be satisfied with being weak in the faith. No, there's this challenge for us to get better, for us to get stronger, for us to become a better husband or a better wife, for us to become a better parent, for us to become a better follower of Jesus, for us to love God with a deeper affection than we ever have before, to go further than we have. How do we do that? Paul says, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong. God is the one who brings strength. And I don't mean strength just to survive the day, all the things we talked about today, strength to forgive someone who's hurt you, strength to love someone who's very different than you, to love your enemy, strength to ask for forgiveness. It takes a lot of strength to reveal that you're weak. And even as we come before the Lord and we say, God, I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner. It takes an amazing amount of strength for us to even utter those words. God, I am weak. God, I need you. It takes strength to say, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. It takes strength to grow in your relationship with God. How do we do that? By asking God, God, give me the strength that I don't have. I lack the strength to be able to do this or I would have done it already. So God, I need your strength. And he'll give it to you. He'll grant it to you. Hey, right now I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He's going to close out our time together. He'll give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So for those of you here in the room and those of you watching online today, I want to give you a chance to respond because all the things we've talked about over the last eight weeks, and this time we're talking about Romans, uh, nine or 10 weeks when we talked about it before, all of this comes down to this one thing, knowing Jesus. 
making him Lord of our life, finding strength in him. Because this is the key to bringing unity to your home and to your church. This is the key to, to seeing the glory of God manifest in your life. This is the key for everything. So I wanna pray with you. And I'm gonna ask everybody in this place to bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us like you do. Thank you that you have made a way for us to experience your strength. And Lord, I know just for the people I know in this congregation, there are people who feel weak. They feel overwhelmed. They feel powerless in the situations they're in. And so Lord, I pray today that they would experience a supernatural power through you that you will strengthen them, that God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would dwell in them today, that they would experience that power. And Lord, it would transform everything, that this strength that they lack now, they would find in you. And I pray that that strength would be a catalyst for transformation in their lives, would be a catalyst for unity in their families and in our church, would be a catalyst for forgiveness and love toward people who, who have not really deserved it. So God, I pray that you'd transform us, change us. I pray that you would help us be people who carry your glory. God, I pray that none of us would be satisfied with where we are, that none of us would be complacent about our walk with you, but, but challenge each of us to know you more and to love you with a deeper affection. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you would say to me, Mel, I'm not really serving God. I'm not really in a relationship with God, but I wanna be. I wanna know him. I wanna be in a relationship with him. I wanna know the strength that you talked about. Maybe at one point you did. Maybe you walked with God for a season, but you know you've walked away from him. Well, today's your day, friend. Today's your day to find reconciliation, to find hope, to find the strength that you need. So don't leave here today without that. So if you're here today and, and you need to find the forgiveness that's only found in Jesus, you need to find the strength that's only found in God, you would like to surrender your life to Christ, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. On my left, I see you. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. On my right, I see you. Praise the Lord. Yeah, up in the balcony. Awesome. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Who else wants to join these and say, that's me, pray for me. Include me in that prayer, Mel. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I wanna pray a prayer with you. And I want you to pray this prayer out loud. Everybody in this place is gonna pray this prayer together. I want you to pray this prayer out loud with your mouth, but I want you to mean it from your heart. I want you to pray it from your very soul. And when, it, when Paul says confess, he's not just talking about a one-time experience, something we just say with our mouth, but it's, it's a confession that our life makes. And so what we're saying is, God, I'm gonna say this with my mouth, but my life is going to be evidence of this from this point forward, that I'm going to confess. My life will confess you as Lord. So I want every person in this place to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and for sending your only son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory. Give me the strength that I need to point people to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today, can we? 
Listen, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation, that the old is, uh, the old is gone and the new has come. And so this is what I'd like you to do. Um, there are some cards in the seat back in front of you. You can take one of those cards out and you can fill it out and then take it to our information center in just a moment. Um, when we finish here, one of our staff is gonna be there and they're gonna help you take the next step as you give them that card. If you'd prefer not to give them that card or you're watching online and you'd prefer this, you can simply text Summit PA to 94000 and select the prompt that says salvation. When you do that, we're gonna text you back and we're gonna get some information to you and we're gonna email or we're gonna uh, get some info in the mail to you so that you can take the next step in your faith journey. And then no matter how you respond in the next few days, somebody from our team is gonna reach out to you and uh, just connect with you to help you begin to grow in your faith. So thank you so very much for that. So those of you that prayed that prayer today and you are new in Christ Jesus, please, please, please take this next step. We wanna help you uh, because there are things like baptisms. There are things like um, classes and groups that we can connect you with so you can grow in your faith. And we wanna do that. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna sing one more song together. And as we're praising our God together, some of our prayer team and some of our staff is gonna be available here at the front of this room. And we'd love to pray for you no matter what your need may be. So if you have a need of any kind, maybe you're here today and you wanna be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you're here today and you need a, a physical healing in your body. We believe God can heal you today before you leave. Whatever your need is, it is not too big for our God. So we'd love to pray with you about that. So stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you all the time, I miss telling you last weekend. I hope you know, I love you guys more than you know. And I am so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.